0: us on coast range radio thank you thank you for for having us (laughs) and that's our show one more time that text link that amy mentioned you just text oregon to 23321 that's 23321 and someone from the campaign will respond You can also find more links and resources in the show notes. And again, please consider supporting this show by sharing an episode with a friend. My email is michael at coastrange.org. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back in a couple weeks.
1: You are listening to KBOO Portland, ninety point seven FM.
2: Do you need some quiet mood music, some soothing sounds? Well, then never listen to Life During Wartime, because they just play really obnoxious DIY punk from local bands and international acts. Sometimes they have bands play live, and it's all with the yelling and the screaming and the ah, "I don't like my mom and dad or my teachers" and all that kind of stuff. That's uh, Life During Wartime, every other Wednesday from 10 to midnight, here on your community radio station, KBOO Portland. KBOO Community Radio is looking for a full-time station manager to oversee administrative fundraising and business functions nonprofit management experience required. To apply, go to kboo.fm slash station manager hire or visit our website. Deadline to apply is Friday, April 7th. KBOO is an equal opportunity employer. Can't get good reception of KBOO on your radio? Just type in www.kboo.fm on your PC or laptop and click on Listen Live. Or just a mouse click away.
1: Hi, this is Judy Collins, and you're listening to KBOO in Portland.
2: Hello, and you are listening to Eco Justice Radio, a project of SoCal 350 Climate Action. Our show presents environmental and climate stories from a social justice frame, featuring voices not necessarily heard on mainstream media. Welcome. I am Jack Eit. On today's show, Biodynamics A Holistic Approach to Farming and Gardening, host Carrie Kim will be interviewing Stuart Lundy, education and media manager of the Josephine Porter Institute for Applied Biodynamics. Stuart Lundy is a biodynamic farmer in Virginia where he raises cattle and sheep and runs a small market garden with his wife Natalie. Together they have been farming since 2010. He consults with regenerative growers around the world. The Josephine Porter Institute is a national producer and distributor of biodynamic preparations, the enlivening forces that work dynamically within the soil, compost, and plants to ultimately provide us with healthier foods, healthier bodies, and a healthier planet.
1: is Carrie Kim. Listeners, thank you for joining us today to learn about the legacy of Rudolf Steiner and the benefits of biodynamics with our guest, Stuart Lundy of the Josephine Porter Institute for Applied Biodynamics. We thank the Tongva ancestors for their continuing presence, legacy, and profound connections to this area that transcends stewardship alone. Our show comes to you from the ancestral unceded territory of the Tongva, and all of their relatives. We invite you to support sovereign tribal nations and to engage in actions that honor and ensure the continuance of their wisdom, homelands and lifeways. wherever you live. Biodynamics was born out of the work and passions of Austrian philosopher and scientist, Dr. Rudolf Steiner, beginning with his infamous lectures in 1924, which inspired farmers to a new and also ancient way of integrating scientific understanding with a recognition of spirit in nature born in the late 1800s architect social reformer and esotericist who also founded the anthroposophical spiritual movement following world war 1 steiner was engaged in the waldorf education movement which now has over 1000 schools on six continents biodynamic agriculture and anthroposophical medicine biodynamic agriculture is considered one of the first forms of modern organic farming. And since 1920, biodynamics has evolved and continued to develop with the collaboration of numerous farmers and researchers globally. The principles and practices of biodynamics is alive and well, thriving in thousands of gardens, farms, vineyards, ranches, and orchards. Biodynamics is accessible to anyone and its wisdom and guiding principles can be applied wherever food is grown, by thoughtfully adapting to scale, landscape, climate, and culture. Akin to the views of indigenous peoples worldwide, biodynamics reminds us and the spiritual aspects of nature are not mutually exclusive, but rather part of a holistic cosmological view. Welcome Stuart, it's been a long time coming. Uh,
0: great to be here.
1: <laughs> Many thanks for joining us on the show today to share about the benefits of biodynamics. You know, I would like you to start at the beginning, which is how would you define biodynamics or biodynamic agriculture?
0: Well, the simplest way I'd put it goes to the word itself, which is biodynamics, which is about working with kind of the life forces undergirding what we see with our eyes because there's a lot of stuff under the surfaces and it's about consciously working with life not just you know the outsides of things but their inner part Mm -hmm. and that's the main thing And, and when you really do that on in a conscious way you realize that the vitality of earth streams in from the cosmos and it's dependent on the whole not just on a superficial reading a a soil test by itself. There's a quality of life that Mm -hmm. needs to be brought back to the earth, kind Mm -hmm. of revivified, And that's kind of the aim of biodynamics in order that human freedom can thrive worldwide.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, it seems that one of the most challenging things for folks who are not, who've kind of lost their keen powers of observation and connection with nature, that these aspects that we're talking about, are really i would say a lot of it is felt experience and it's intangible it's not something that is just articulated like you said on an intellectual level so i think that is one of the the reasons why you know biodynamics maybe people haven't found it in the same way as permaculture has been so widespread but there's that other element but i think that's also what's missing it's a key part of what Modern people are missing in reconnecting with nature and these forces. We were once this way when we were animist, when we were pagan, when we were more connected to everything around us as indigenous peoples. Yeah,
0: absolutely. This grows out of a time in the early 20th century where tractors are being introduced, large scale agrochemicals, and these ways of farming are being mocked as unscientific uneducated peasant in like rural Europe was practicing for, I mean, indigenous European practices mm-hmm. and they were using biochar, carefully composting. They would stir compost in water, mm-hmm. singing to
2: it. Mm-hmm. And then they
0: would spray that over their fields. Um, there's a German term for that, which is tone singing, which is a play on words that means tone singing or also clay singing. That's what biodynamics ended up picking up right as, almost all of this was being eradicated under the fist of scientific progress but these are very old ways mostly forgotten in europe
1: mm-hmm. i mean could you share a little about Rudolf steiner's original 1924 lectures that spawned biodynamics as a as a movement agricultural movement what what was the context for those lectures i mean you already kind of given the backdrop of course we had world war World War One and then burgeoning industrialization, it, it's not surprising that even back then, farmers were concerned about the future of farming. It's hauntingly familiar to now. Well, this set
0: of lectures was based on a promise that Steiner had made, and he kept postponing doing these lectures. He was a very busy man, but this was for Count Kaiserlink, who had a large estate, mm-hmm. and his son finally showed up on Rudolf Steiner's doorstep and said that he wasn't going to go home without a promise of a specific date. It worked and Steiner finally did show up and gave these lectures. But the reason for it is that people were noticing that their food was not as good anymore. It didn't taste as good. The seed viability was declining. Mm -hmm. And you were ending up with, I mean, mass scale starvation at the time, like millions of people were dying from malnourishment through Europe. And it was becoming a serious concern that are we going to be able to feed people if our food quality keeps declining?
2: Mm -hmm. So,
0: Out of that major concern, Steiner was called in to try to draw on esoteric ideas of how do we reintegrate deadened earth into living soil? And how do we weave the earthly realm back, back into the cosmos? So mm-hmm. he brings some rather unusual sounding preparations, but the aim is to bring back to the soil things that had accumulated over eons, but to do it consciously in a human way so that the soil has the full spectrum of life forces necessary mm-hmm. to foster plant life, but mm-hmm. also human development.
1: You know, the agriculture course or this these lectures we're referring to from 1924, it reads, Spiritual foundations for the renewal of agriculture, which I personally love. I think it's a prescient title for agriculture today, because I do feel that that's part of what's missing from even regenerative agriculture. That it there's even that other step further. Regenerative is amazing. I um, mean, and very much necessary. But there's another level to this cosmic level that is is this work, and uh, it's it's the same to me. It's indigenous agriculture, as we've talked about because those elements of the moon and the stars and the ancestors, all these things were all woven together. And that's cool. how people would farm if they did farm. You know, there, there's a certain kind of mystique that surrounds Rudolf Steiner. And I'm wondering, what would you like listeners to know about him, anthroposophy, and the origins of biodynamics?
0: Well, one of Steiner's key concerns is freedom for all individuals.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He developed what he called ethical individualism which is not an antisocial impulse but that the freedom of society is going to depend on every individual being free to express themselves and follow their own individual path his book which is originally titled the philosophy of freedom became um intuitive thinking as a spiritual path that he said in one one of his lectures that if everything else that he put together was lost He would want that one to be preserved, that particular book. Mm. But Anthroposophy is about getting beyond the merely materialistic scientific climate of the time. I mean, you had scientific materialist Marxism at the time that saw everything as just atoms bumping into each other, purely materialistic dialectic. And this is kind of a response to it to try to bring back no the spiritual element the life element back into these things mm-hmm. so that's where it came from and the term itself that steiner uses is anthroposophy which is really human wisdom or the wisdom of being human Just mm-hmm. really how do we belong to the world again yeah. rather than acting like complete strangers to it
1: Is there anything for you personally that stands out from those 1924 lectures?
0: Well, I've spent my time wading through them, rereading them, reading them. And there's a key element. And Steiner talks about these different medicinal herbs. And he says of each of them, with the exception of one, that substitutes can easily be found. Mm -hmm. Now, there's the conventional orthodox formula for biodynamics, which are all European herbs, but most of these are on every continent and substitutes can be found. Mm -hmm. Now, what that means is that this is a formula that can be adapted sensitively to each region out Mm -hmm. of indigenous medicinal practices, and it's built into the formula. Now, whether that used worldwide or whether that's recognized by things like the Demeter standard, that's another question, but it is built into it that this was not meant to be exclusively Eurocentric. Even though all the herbs do grow in Europe, there are intended substitutes that people are meant to find out with their own research.
1: Well, I love that it has a global, and obviously it is practiced globally and internationally successfully. What, what about Josephine Porter herself and her 30 years of dedication to biodynamics? Maybe it's more now.
0: There were there was a biodynamic conference, and a lot of people wanted to know at the time why are the biodynamic preparations such secrets? No one knew how to make them. No one knew the recipe. <laughs> at the time, if you wanted to get a copy of the agriculture course, they were all numbered, and you could check mm-hmm. them out one chapter at a time. And you had to mm-hmm. read a chapter before mm-hmm. you got it back. Well, at this conference, a lot of people wanted to know how to make them, and Josephine Porter stood up turned around and said, well, I'll show you how to make them. They're not a secret. And she got a list of some 20, 30 people to sign up and only one person actually followed through. And that was Hugh Courtney. He's the only person who showed up in the fall (laughs) and he ended up carrying that on for 30 years, more or less. Mm -hmm. And the legacy is from Steiner who taught Aaron Fried Pfeiffer. Mm -hmm. Aaron Fried Pfeiffer taught Josephine Porter. Mm Jeffrey Pfeiffer was kind of the main person bringing biodynamics to the United States. And Joseph Porter learned directly from him and then Hugh Courtney from her. And I learned from Hugh Courtney. So that's a a short line back to Steiner. Mm -hmm. But her work was carrying on, in particular, the stuff that Ehrenfried Pfeiffer had developed, namely the Pfeiffer Field and Garden Spray, which has a combination of all the biodynamic preparations as well as some other proprietary things. But Josephine Porter Institute is the, the sole creator and distributor of that. And it is a it's a remarkable stimulant for the soil because you get everything done in a single pass. And I've seen in my own experience on my farm, some uh, astonishing results, but that was her legacy of keeping that alive, keeping that torch burning and passing it on. you q courtney Mm
1: -hmm. yeah and then and then you are the next one in (laughs) line.
0: Apparently, (laughs) yeah
1: what what are the core concepts of biodynamic farming
0: core concepts of biodynamic farming center around the idea of the farm as a a living organism Mm -hmm. and not just as a metaphor or a poetic idea but as a concrete living thing and when the agriculture course was delivered the term ecosystem had not yet been coined Steiner maybe would have used it if he had that term. Right. But think of it, the farm is an organism. It's its own microclimate. It's its mm-hmm. own ecosystem. It has an ability to maintain difference between the environment and yet also integrate into the environment. Mm-hmm. It's its own whole. And it's about creating a farm that provides all of its own fertility needs from within itself, dependent on the cosmos and the obviously the energy that streams in and our ability to capture that in the form of sugars and plants and mm-hmm. compost and the result is that it doesn't depend on outside inputs you're not buying in agrochemicals you're not buying in fertilizers you're not depending on products from abroad if every farm were operating like this if every country were operating like this everyone would be able to feed each other and be you know far less to squabble about in terms of resources, because the idea is this independent thing, not so it's out of selfishness, but it becomes this like bioreactor of abundance.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. That's the how, core tenant. so.
1: Well, how did you become a biodynamic farmer yourself? Were you practicing other forms of farming before practicing biodynamics?
0: Yes, I began farming in 2010, and we began with the idea of a homestead, feeding ourselves, uh, sustainability. We had permaculture elements mixed in, but it took a few years before we'd even heard of biodynamics.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: We stumbled onto that and it was actually my wife pushing me into it, but for a while it didn't didn't make sense. It just didn't. So um, you're skeptical? But very I mean, skeptical.
1: Well I think that I mean there's definitely people who anytime you talk about spirituality or cosmic forces, you're going to have your skeptics.
0: And I, it took me about, I had to read six books until I found the work of Maria Toon mm-hmm. and Aaron Pfeiffer. And those made me go, okay, there's, there's something to this because they were showing results with plants and how they grew differently. Mm-hmm. And they were showing um, microbiological analysis of the preparations. And like, okay, I, I was able to, in, to slip in with that, mm-hmm. but it didn't make sense to me. It didn't really click until an article by Hugh Lovell in Acres USA, where he writes about the tides being governed by the moon. And by analogy, he just transposes that to plants, that Mm -hmm. the moon governs the rise and fall of sap in plants. So if the moon is descending every night, getting lower and lower, the sap is going down to the roots of the plant. And that's a good time to transplant because the active area of the plant is the root. So it'll really get grounded when you transplant. On conversely, if you transplant when the moon is getting higher every day from your perspective, the sap is going up and out of the leaves. Well, they might just all evaporate, dehydrate, and die rather than take root. And just the realizing that there's this tidal process in plants right. that moment was the moment that I'm like, there's something to this, and kept exploring. But mm-hmm. That was what opened it.
1: Right. And then you actually, through the practice itself, right? I mean, there's no, there's no substitute for direct experience, right?
0: Absolutely. And we first started with a small area around our home. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So this
0: area is actually about three years ahead of the rest of the farm in terms of development, because it has seen three extra years of biodynamic treatment. Mm -hmm. And Steiner does say in the agriculture course lectures to start with a small plot. Mm -hmm. Now, He doesn't say why, other than if you mess up, you'll only be messing up a small plot. Uh But he says, you realize that the reason for that is that you'll always have something to compare that is further developed.
1: Right, right. Well, you know, what uh, this term I came across is farm individuality. Can you speak about that in relationship to biodynamics?
0: That gets to that notion of the farm as an organism, but as an individuality. It is a unique expression of a universal idea. So all of us are human beings, but we're all unique expressions of being human. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes us unique. That's what makes us individual. There is the idea of the farm as this self-sufficient organism, but that's mm-hmm. going to look different in an arid climate, in a humid climate, in the tropics, in the mountains. It's going to be individualized. It can't you can't just copy someone else's farm and paste it wow. in your your region it must be adapted to your climate your soil everything and that's what makes it an individual expression of that mm-hmm. idea
1: yeah well i think that when we hear that word individual it becomes something else but we understand it's individual like you say unique expression and yes. it's individual versus separate which is something right. different. <laughs> listeners we're going to go to a break and we'll be back with stuart lenny to talk more at The current state of farming hey
2: listeners quick break here we hope that you're enjoying eco justice radio stay connected by subscribing on all major podcast apps and visit our website ecojusticeradio.org to check out previous shows and guests listen to extended episodes and get connected with us on social media today you are listening to biodynamics a holistic approach to farming and gardening with host Carrie Kim and guest Stuart Lundy, education and media manager of the Josephine Porter Institute for Applied Biodynamics.
1: So we're back with Stuart Lundy of Josephine Porter Institute for Applied Biodynamics. Uh, Stuart, today we're witnessing a global embrace of regenerative farming, but also simultaneously we're seeing a technological acceleration that includes biotech, blockchain tech, synthetic microbes, drones, genetic modification, 2.0 and the like. What is the importance of seeing a farm as a holistic living organism?
0: (laughs) Well, I see it as, um, if you take a poem, and you randomly splice in new words or letters the poem stops making sense <laughs> and <laughs> that's what one of the, this modification starts to do it's there is a poetic syntax to life mm. start splicing in the things we want to be in that poem we've broken the meter mm-hmm. the rhythm of life has been altered and it may serve us for the moment but the long-term effects of that are completely untested.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So the idea is thinking holistically is thinking in as something has its own wholeness. And that's the idea of the farm as an organism or as an individuality. It is something that has wholeness. Mm-hmm. It is has an indivisible quality, like each of us has our own uniqueness. By thinking of it that way, we're far more likely to treat it well. Like, even if we don't necessarily believe or interact with fairies and elemental beings, If we treat the soil as if they're there and as if the soil has its own personal likes and dislikes, we're far more likely to treat it in a humanizing way rather than a dehumanizing way.
1: I think that it's very important to see it as having its own wishes as well, having its own, as you say, its likes and dislikes and that it's uh, more of a spirit or an ancestor. It's very different. To think soil or a plant or a tree or a microbe in this way and this poetic syntax to life I love this this that you said that because I think inserting ourselves and coming up with these technological solutions is real is just reflective of being in the Anthropocene era where everything is really human centric and even though even if Steiner's philosophies were about human a human kind of a wisdom or access to spirit it's not human at the expense of all the rest of life
0: absolutely he saw that the universe had this tendency towards becoming human or i mean or it wouldn't have produced us but (laughs) that we're meant to integrate here and that the earth wouldn't be better without us and that actually the earth with us can be better than without us. If tended lovingly and consciously as it has been by indigenous traditions worldwide and this is something that would sit wrong with a lot of people these days having seen how much humanity has despoiled the earth. They think humanity must be bad. It's like no, it's us acting inhumanely that's Mm. doing this. It's not the human part that's the problem. It's inhumane. Right. and Samuel himself said that if it were not for human beings the earth would have actually died long ago that we have this integral part of the the living ecosystem and the spirit of the earth and that we're here as kind of priests of the earth not just something that happened to arise here but we have a meaningful calling here and that without that human duty being fulfilled to the earth Yeah, it it would have died before. So we're not fulfilling that very well right now globally. I'll say that.
1: (laughs) Do you actually believe that? I mean, that the Earth would not exist without human beings? Because I think during the pandemic, I think people witnessed that, oh, Earth would do just fine without us. (laughs) (laughs) Come back and thrive because we wouldn't be destroying it anymore in the ways that we do.
0: Well, there's a tendency in certain ecosystems to reach their climax. And mm-hmm. even to deteriorate, everything is moving towards change. But, and some, but we're one of the few beings that can take a desert and turn it green. Mm-hmm. Like we have that power, and that's the internalization of this. The all the streaming processes of the universe converge in the human being, and we are generalists who have that power. We can green the desert. We can do incredible things in making things even more habitable and ho- more hospitable to diverse life we haven't been doing that we just we haven't and you're right if we simply stop the destructive behaviors we're going to see nature rebound and nature will be fine it's just i don't see as far as steiner maybe because mm-hmm. i think what you're saying and right. say like, well when there are fewer people messing up ecosystems it seems to just thrive but the idea is everything has a sort of biological clock even ecosystems and that at some point those wear out mm-hmm. and will go on and The human being though is able to take fertility from over here or even mineral salts from the ocean and bring them up to a depleted area Mm -hmm. and we're able to help the earth live in a way it wouldn't have like the terra preta soils of blackening the earth Mm -hmm. that's something that basically wouldn't happen by accident and yet it is a human innovation that has made an area more fertile than it ever would have been and that's us at our best
1: Right. Well, I think that the key is being in service to life, that human yes. beings, like you say, when we are being humane, when we are taking that role of being a servant to life, helping life create more life, that's that's where we shine or can. You know, as a biodynamic farmer, what do you see as our golden opportunity living in this anthropocene era where there is so much focus on humans at the center of the, of the universe in a way? is biodynamics one of the ways through which we can restore our relationship to nature?
0: I think it is. I think it has to be that no matter how small the plot, it's about taking the center of the universe and putting it outside of myself. It's Mm -hmm. it's not about me. It's Mm -hmm. about how I integrate with the rest of the world. And I would place biodynamics with uh, what Masanobu Fukuoka called Mm -hmm. uh, Ahayana farming versus Hinayana farming or conventional farming. It's about creating something that does more than just mitigate my own excesses, but Mm -hmm. it can absorb the karma of the surrounding ecosystems and create basically a reservoir, an oasis of biodiversity that is really the source of re-inoculating the rest of the earth we're surrounded by conventional farms and everyone has to make ends meet. And I don't mean to criticize the character of the people who are farming that way, but the soil is being deadened repeatedly. Well, at some point that's not going to work anymore. And where is the new wave of biodiversity going to come from? Well, all of these little pockets, someone's backyard, an organic farm here, a regenerative farm there, a biodynamic farm there. At some point, biodiversity is going to reemerge from those places. And yes, there are sprays and chemicals happening all around us, but every time I reuse these biostimulants, I'm training life mm-hmm. to adapt under those pressures. Mm-hmm. And when life <laughs> returns to these fields, they're gonna come from farms like mine and gardens like anyone else's. And it we're already doing that. We're planting seeds for the future. And if you were to create a heat map around the world, all of these inoculation points almost like points on a log if you grew mushrooms so mm-hmm. we're creating that possibility because this form of agriculture is going to run out and the the large scale industrial one that's treating soil like dead substrate mm-hmm. that's going to run out and life is going to have to come from somewhere and that's what we're fostering and it you may never get credit for it mm-hmm. but who cares if you're in I service like right?
1: yeah what is the difference between organic farming and biodynamics? I mean, biodynamics is a form of organic farming, but the two are are not mutually exclusive terms. How are they similar? How are they different?
0: Well, I would say that the simplest thing is that organic is about what you exclude. <laughs> like okay. you don't use these chemicals, you okay. avoid certain things. Okay. Even though now the standard has got a lot of exceptions that they allow now. Biodynamics is actually not just that. Yeah, you have, you don't use synthetics, but it's about what you add. It's what you bring to the soil. It's about the positive aspirations, about fostering life. So I would actually say that organic farming works in as much as it is secretly, quietly, and unbeknownst to the farmer, perhaps. It's already biodynamic. It is obeying the laws of life. To whatever degree, Mm -hmm. it may not consciously be introducing to the soil things that are missing, like the biodynamic preparations, which are, to me, very specific aspects of plant growth that Mm -hmm. almost never go back into the soil. And what we're doing when we use those preparations is supplying the soil with everything that a plant might need for every possible stage of growth. Mm -hmm. And we don't usually think very consciously about the compost, we think of it, here's a waste pile. It's whatever goes into it. But how often are we giving medicinal herbs to our compost pile? Treat it mm-hmm. like it's a living thing that has the same needs as you. Mm-hmm. And then your food really does become medicine because that medicine goes out with the compost.
1: Could you speak more about growing plants in revitalized living soil versus the dead dirt? And how that's actually maybe it's a little bit more about the preparations in achieving that.
0: Well, no, you can use organic matter, cover crops, but putting a living plant into a dead soil would be like plopping a human being into a dead and sterile environment. It it just wouldn't make sense. That these plants need life in the soil. You can almost think of what you build up in the soil as a battery. You're building up potential energy in the so- soil which can then disperse as kinetic energy into what emerges as plants themselves but if the battery is low the plants aren't going to thrive or have the energy to grow to their full potential and that's any number of methods can get to that
1: yeah everybody people do that every day right and then they and then they add fertilizers you know because it's <laughs> because they're putting it in something dead and they you know they wonder why it doesn't grow well without yeah. having to add all these you know, synthetic or, 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 other kind of, um, inputs.
0: And that's actually something interesting where, um, there's Christine Jones does a lot of regenerative soil work with the liquid carbon pathway, but she identifies that we really only need four functional groups in a cover crop. And they just have to be four distinct species. You could mm-hmm. have borage, you could have an aster, like sunflower, you could have facelia mm-hmm. and you have any number of things. They don't even have to be a legume, but if you get those four Mm-hmm. You end up with total nutrient cycling without adding fertilizers.
1: That's, that's amazing. That's the least I've ever heard. I've always heard at least eight, but
0: exactly. But that's I know I I always thought it was more than that. Some biodynamic mixes, it's they try to do thirty or more. It's it's which is a lot, but if you <laughs> only need four to get total nutrient cycling, it's it's pretty incredible what you can do with actually very little and no legume either. Mm-hmm. Like it just works.
1: So what do you say to people who would say? Uh, Biodynamics is too time intensive. I don't have a year to wait. I don't have the time to make make the preparations myself. You know, what, what do you say to people who have that? I don't know if it's a misconception or if it's true that biodynamics is a labor intensive practice.
0: Well, I don't think it's a labor intensive practice myself. The amount of time it takes to make the preparations is, yeah, you may spend a few days out of your year. But you make something that lasts for years and you can use on thousands of pounds of compost. And uh, let's say you do the stirring. You stir how many times? Let's say you did once every quarter. So that's four times. Let's say it's four hours. Well, what is? it doesn't change how you farm. It just changes the quality of what's growing. And maybe then you deal with fewer pests. Maybe you have fewer weed problems. But the efficiencies of the farmer are totally separate issue whether someone follows like a lean farm method or they follow something like john jevons or alan chadwick's approach that's separate biodynamics doesn't say how to be efficient or to attain the flow state it's just bringing vitality back to the soil steiner actually repeatedly said continue farming as you have been add Mm -hmm. manure the way you did compost the way you did but just also add these preparations
1: inoculants mm-hmm. well i guess the thing is about you're moving the time around right the time that you spend in stirring or or burying a horn in the ground for a year those things you save the time later anyway because you are creating more vitality in the soil so like, it's-
0: i found that in in one hour i can do some bad things if i cultivate the soil and it's the wrong weather <laughs> I can ruin a part of the soil and it takes a year for that to recover whereas if I stir the horn manure preparation and I understand people thinking okay they don't have time to make them they can buy them like from Josephine Porter Institute but if you stir that for an hour and spray that out you're getting more done in that one hour than most of your manual labor accomplishes in terms of regenerating the soil and sequestering carbon from that one hour it's it's some of the most efficient use of your time because of how much it stimulates the proper soil biology. Mm
1: -hmm. Stuart, we're going to take another break here. Listeners, stay with us. We'll be back with Stuart Lundy of Josephine Porter Institute of Applied Biodynamics.
2: Hey, listeners, quick break here. We hope that you're enjoying Ecojustice Radio. Stay connected by subscribing on all major podcast apps and visit our website, EcoJusticeRadio.org. To check out previous shows and guests listen to extended episodes and get connected with us on social media today you are listening to biodynamics a holistic approach to farming and gardening with host carrie kim and guest stuart lundy education and media manager of the josephine porter institute for applied biodynamics
1: stuart i wonder if you could tell us a little bit about the research. I don't know what kind of research JPI is involved with around biodynamics. Is it primarily geared towards biodynamic farmers or are, are you trying to assess or measure things? What what sort of research is JPI doing?
0: Yeah, that's something we're really looking to expand in this next year. Coming mm-hmm. up on the centennial of biodynamics, there's a lot of good research, but you know some of it's from the 60s and we need to repeat it, get it up to date, show mm-hmm. that it you know, is still relevant today. And what we're working with is plant trials of showing here's a control, here's something that got a treatment with the preparation. Here's something that got a miracle grow. Here's something that got compost Mm -hmm. and show the development difference in terms of root development and in terms Mm -hmm. of the tops. And you can weigh those afterwards. Mm -hmm. You can do, they're called rhizoboxes and compare how the root systems develop under different stimulants. In addition to that, in the biodynamic world, we try to do what are called picture forming methods. So okay. rather than merely relying on numbers from a soil test, we'd like to make a picture.
2: Mm. There are
0: two primary modes. One is chromatography uh-huh. and the other is sensitive crystallization. Sensitive crystallization, actually, you take a drop of a particular substance and you put it in a copper chloride solution and it forms these beautiful crystals and you can tell based on the coherence of the crystal pattern how healthy or unhealthy the organism or the source is. In chromatography we can take a soil sample and combine that with silver nitrate and we actually get a photograph. We develop a picture out of a soil sample and you can tell whether a soil is alive or dead how healthy it is, how much microbiological diversity it is You can tell the quality of humus, whether it's like really, really, really well digested or whether it's basically wood chips. And those are two that we do alongside um, microbiological analysis because that's what most of the world's interested in, but we're trying to show in picture forms life. Mm -hmm. Like it's take a snapshot of the life.
1: Well, picture definitely does say a thousand words, doesn't it? And I think people see it immediately. It's something that registers with them immediately if you can see it in a picture. Exactly. Could you describe a little bit the difference that the picture shows in dead dirt versus a biodynamically alive soil?
0: Oh, yeah. So in dead soil, you're just going to see
1: no activity. An,
0: outer, an outer ring. It'll look pretty bare. <laughs> It'll be uninteresting. And a living soil with a great diversity of a biological life you're going to see all of these like raying it's almost like a star radiating out with different feathering fingertips reaching out on all different directions and the greater the diversity the greater the variation you're going to see around the edges of this you're going to see better colors on the one that's alive and if you see a soil that has a healthy relationship between the living topsoil and you know the less living subsoil, you're you're not going to be able to identify horizon A and horizon B. It will be a beautiful spectrum, where you mm. can't identify a line that separates the two. Mm. The dead mineral world are integrated with the living topsoil. You can't you can't identify the line. You know they're there, wow. but it's this beautiful spectrum.
1: It's not like boundary lines. So is that something that people could? do themselves? Are those tests that people could do themselves? Because it seems like that would be wonderful to engage people globally to do that for yes. applying biodynamic preps.
0: So chromatography, anyone can do. You just need silver nitrate and sodium hydroxide and filter paper. Mm-hmm. That's it. it is, it costs less than a dollar to do a round of tests. Like mm-hmm. it's cheap enough, it's used worldwide. There's a great book, I don't know if it's, being published Chromatographia it's in Spanish but beautiful photographs and even if you don't read Spanish you can look through it and you can tell what they're doing because the pictures are very very clear mm-hmm.
1: they show an example
0: of soil treated with Roundup and it's just blank <laughs> with mm-hmm. a dead ring like white just washed out no life at all and you can see what happens under very particular treatments but yeah chromatography is wonderful for people to learn because You can have your conventional soil test and the picture, the two together, say more than either apart.
1: Well, it'd be wonderful for that to be an archive, you know, kind of a global archive, sort of a a wisdom bank of these images, you know. Is biodynamics practiced more widely in certain countries? Is it more popular in Europe than here? I'm just wondering where it's most prevalent, even though it is a global practice.
0: It's most prevalent in Europe. There's a lot of it in India, though. Like it is Mm -hmm. growing faster in India than anywhere else like it's it's incredible and some of India's five-year plans and their agriculture uh, department include biodynamics not just it, but list the biodynamic preparations and how to make them as part of this is what we're supporting so they're taking the biodynamic movement in India is going through the very difficult process of engaging the bureaucracy lobbying and making sure this is something that is consciously supported for the future they, they're making more preparations in India probably than the rest of the world combined now, like it's it's absolutely exploding.
1: I'm not surprised though because there is such an incredible resurgence going on in India right now in regenerative farming and, and there's so many things happening in Andhra Pradesh and uh, mm-hmm. the small scale farmers are really rising up so it's it's amazing. Now these days we see biodynamic certification on some food labels, is this becoming more widespread and could you share if you know how that certification is granted?
0: The Demeter certification is based on first meeting the organic standard mm-hmm. plus the biodynamic requirements which have certain requirements for wildlife protection zones. You have to sacrifice a certain amount of your farm for that dedicated purpose, um, you need okay. habitat. Need certain regenerative practices, cover crops, crop rotation, all of this gets added in, plus all the biodynamic preparations have to be used. But the baseline is following the organic standard, but it's organic plus.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, got it. What do you say to people who might say that uh, biodynamics is pseudoscience? And because you can't, maybe some of these things are not, some things are measurable and some things are not. Just like Hugh Courtney had said, we don't know exactly how it works, but we know it works. And there are certain things that are mysteries. Nature is a mystery. No one can say, I know everything top to bottom about nature. That's part of nature itself. It's meant to be a mystery. It's not meant to be something that we figure out. So yes. have to say to that?
0: Well, I'd say most of the decisions we make on a day-to-day basis are not based on science not based on studies. I mean, the relationships we're in. We're not, it's not based on having you know a thousand relationships and done statistical analysis and then said, okay, that's the right one. Like, a lot of mistakes, hard. I guess. <laughs> it's not most of life. And that's okay. The question is, do you get results? And is it repeatable under different environments? And biodynamics has shown that, but the problem, here's the problem with research is Who's going to pay for something that people can make in their own backyards? There's not a lot of money to exploit that. Like you can't patent the moon. There's not a uh, lot of money to research.
1: <laughs> they'd the like to try. Someone yeah, loves they the would.
0: <laughs> like, oh, you're using the moon calendar. Now we <laughs> own. Um, but there's there's no money in that because you can't control that. So, and yeah,
1: drop it off. It, it, yeah.
0: Good double blind studies cost a lot of money, and there's no money in something you can make in your backyard. So unless they were to control it and patent it and trademark it. But it's too, it's already out there. It's common knowledge now. Mm-hmm. Anybody can do this. And
1: That's that,
0: yeah, Ultimately. exactly.
1: Are there farms practicing biodynamics at scale or do you think that it's yeah. something harder to practice on larger farms?
0: They are practicing it on scale. Alex Podolinsky, who's since passed, but in Australia, he helped advise on millions of acres of wow. farms in Australia. And they have very difficult growing conditions. If I remember correctly from his lectures that they don't have groundwater. So they're entirely dependent on rain. So very fragile farming conditions. Now, if that can happen there, can you can, you can do it anywhere. Now, mm-hmm. I know a guy, Lloyd Nelson, and he's actually helping advise on a ranch. I think it's 50,000 acres out West. And they're mm-hmm. having to figure out ways to you know apply on a large scale um mm-hmm. in australia they've gone as far as using helicopters to apply wow. sprays so it's doable as mm-hmm. much as farming is doable on a large scale because the question is how do you get these biostimulants spread out over your farm well you were spraying something beforehand so okay. that part is scalable but whether you can manage it properly and tend it properly and time it right those are a whole other whole other set of questions but
1: what do you think about that though? I mean, you know, with these large scale sort of the industrial farming, how that came in and and sort of it quickly surpassed the small scale farms, yep. family farms, uh, you know, to hear about things being sprayed by helicopter. Is that the future of farming? You know, is it that we need to go back to many, 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 many more small scale farms versus these large scale farms? I mean, what do you feel about
0: there's some statistic i'd seen re- relatively recently that more than half of the world's food currently still comes from small farms yes. and the myth is that small farms can't feed the world mm-hmm. the fact is that they already do Thank you right yeah and so yeah if, if every like most farms are actually under five acres
2: mm-hmm.
0: worldwide they're mm-hmm. small so which mm-hmm. puts my farm, which is about forty, large,
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: I'm up, up there with Monsanto in the large
2: <laughs> category.
1: Yeah. Right.
0: And when you think about that, I'm like, wow, yeah, that's a lot of small farms feeding mm-hmm. a lot of people, mm-hmm. and there's no reason that we couldn't shift back to that. We you don't need a lot if you tend it correctly, you nurture that spot, it becomes more fertile every year, not less, and that's where we've lost sight of that. When Europeans first showed up in Australia, they did soil tests. Most countries, they weren't doing soil tests when Europeans showed up. They did in Australia. Some of the soil was over 30% organic matter. Now, you're you're lucky to find anything over 2%. Oh
1: my God, wow, that's incredible.
0: So that's what mechanized industrial agriculture has done. There used to be a huge reservoir of stuff that took a very long time to build up and gone like that. It's like lighting
1: a match and all burns off that's kind of the history right of of going from soil to dirt what what would you say are is biodynamic agriculture or biodynamics being taught at all in the waldorf schools um if
0: someone's involved in the waldorf school there's usually some connected garden doesn't mean they're making the preparations but they may use them they may tend the garden biodynamically but Mm -hmm. for me i think the most Transformative element is actually the farmer or gardener making the preparation. Now, when I first made them, I failed. They didn't turn out, they were awful. And that's I'm like, okay, this, if it can be done wrong, it can be done right. And they're like, all right, there's a quality standard. It's not just a magic recipe. You, you do this and it poof, turns out. No, you can turn out like crap. And it did. So I got better at it. But as I've done that, it's changed my imagination. It changed how how I see things, it changes what I put together, and it has opened up new possibilities for other remedies on the farm by practicing making them, not just using them, but the activity of making them has changed me on like a soul level more than spraying. Spraying is good, that helps the soil, that helps the earth, that helps the food quality, but making the preparation, that changed something in here, and that I think is uh, probably one of the least emphasized parts, but I think everyone should be making them as much as possible. They'll also be I mean we talk now about indigenous microorganisms. Well, if you're making your own preparations on farm with plant parts and animal parts from that area, it's custom to tailored to your spot and right. that's a an better remedy
1: mm-hmm. So why was it that making the preparation, was so particularly transformative to you, that process?
0: The process was transformative to me because I began to see how certain parts of an animal are analogous to certain plants out in nature and how they actually belong together. Mm -hmm. That there is a digestive process happening in this plant. There's a kidney process happening in that plant. Mm -hmm. And I think before we had all the noise of, modern consciousness, there is a more direct awareness. If you looked at a plant before all of this, the layers of noise were added, you could see what the plant could do for you, because you would feel that kinship, oh, that belongs to the kidneys, oh, that belongs to the stomach. And people would just know that, and that there's something to do the geometry of it, but it also resonates with, there's a geometry of it that's in you as well. And because mm-hmm. the human being is this special confluence of everything, we can recognize all sorts of things. And I don't think people had to study to find these remedies. It wasn't trial and error. There's certain people who just knew because they right. could see. And we've lost that. But it by working with the preparations, it kind of helps peel back some layers and you start mm-hmm. to recognize intimations of that again.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, things are being threaded back together, woven back together. You know, it's not just the seeing. It's also the hearing or being told, right, where we have times when we have that intuition that's coming from spirit or whatever you want to call that, whatever your word for that is. Could you speak about the biodynamic planting calendar?
0: Yes. The biodynamic planting calendar was developed by Maria Thun. Her, her books are all excellent they're some beautifully illustrated beautiful photographs but she developed it based on a lot of research she did planting by the moon with the sun in a certain sign planets at particular conjunctions and if you look at her photographs it's, there's some pretty compelling evidence that where the planets are changes how plants germinate i like to think of it as if you have a planet that's changing direction, it's a bit like the Doppler effect, but moving Uh by, there's this magnetic twisting that occurs. If you germinate something as the planet is changing direction from our perspective, it's like, it starts a twisting process and you end up with getting carrots that are all twisted and they Ah. fracture instead of a nice coherent form. Amazing. Yeah, it's just, but we're, we're usually just not aware of where the planets are so it just right. looks. I guess that one turned out weird. This set seemed <laughs> fun. Uh, I don't
1: know. I love hearing about that. Well, I think that just it's a testament to kind of we filled our life with so many things that don't actually matter. But <laughs> back in the ancient times, we actually could tend to things like the soil, be observant, like a a Taoist or, or any kind of an animist. How we used to live was much more connected and attuned to to the realities of nature. Many farmers and people in general experienced some form of supply chain issues during the pandemic. And I'm wondering if Josephine Porter was impacted by any of that, even though, you know, biodynamics is you're meant to be kind of closed loop on your farms, but how, were there any issues or concerns around that?
0: We didn't have a lot of issues on that point because until this year, Actually, this this coming month, cows are finally arriving for the Josephine Porter Institute. So all of that will become self-contained with Josephine Porter, which is wonderful. Oh,
1: because you weren't having your own cows before on the land.
0: No. Right. Um, We used grass-fed ones that had been treated with biodynamic preparations and were tended, and they moved through the area where on the Josephine Porter Institute farm, and they'd be harvested from there. But Mm -hmm. now it's about, it's it's just time for the herd to just live there. So
1: right. that's
0: wonderful. Uh, but most of the sourcing was not directly impacted since most of it is you know herbs. Mm-hmm. and those we didn't seem to have problem getting yarrow, chamomile, nettle. Those mm-hmm. weren't too difficult. And then we grow a lot of them as well. So um, that part was not affected, but sales were definitely affected because you know, it it hit everybody.
1: Mm-hmm. Although at the same time, so many people turned to gardening and uh, farming even on a very, very small scale. So I think maybe it takes time to cycle that back around. But I feel that there's definitely a movement of more people back to the land, back to growing, back to some kind of connection to nature, because I think people know, uh, not all people yet, but people do recognize that's time that we must make a shift. So Stuart, thank you so much for joining us today. Could you tell listeners how they can remain in contact with Josephine Porter Institute or you and what? what's happening with the biodynamics globally.
0: You can stay in touch with the Josephine Porter Institute at jpibiodynamics.org. We've got all of the different biodynamic preparations there, a bookstore, and we're also going to be offering workshops through the year where people can come, there'll be food, they can learn to make the preparations themselves, and yeah, that's the main thing. That's our main website. We're also on Instagram, Facebook, JPI Biodynamics. but yeah, that's it.
1: Thank you so much. I I can definitely attest to the wonders of biodynamics, having used the formulations, the preparations myself, and we have seen sort of these mystical <laughs> experience of, of non-fruiting trees all of a sudden fruiting, and, and it makes all the difference in the world, as you say, to put the nutrients back in the soil and, and to also connect ourselves on a cosmic level. So thank you so much for joining us, Stuart. And thank, thank you, you, Josephine Porter and all the legacy from Steiner on down that continue this work to this day.
2: Hey, listeners, to check out the extended recording of this show or to explore our other shows, visit our website, ecojusticeradio.org, and subscribe to our podcast. This has been Ecojustice Radio and our show, Biodynamics, a Holistic Approach to Farming and Gardening. Thank you to our guest, Stuart Lundy, and thank you always to our listeners. Please connect with us on social media at Ecojustice Radio, SoCal 350, and Adventures in Waste. And if you like what you have heard and you want others to be informed, subscribe and share the episodes. You have been listening to Ecojustice Radio, a project of SoCal 350, executive producer, myself, Jack Eite, producer and co-host, Jessica Aldridge, co-host Carrie Kim, and engineer and original music by Blake Quake Beats. And until next time, remember, the power is yours.